to a view and focus the show where we talk with entrepreneurs from technology startups and high growth companies we'll get to hear their stories about entrepreneurship leadership strategy management and fundraising i'm your host dina the palmer managing partner at true north where we work alongside entrepreneurs industry leaders and pe firms as their strategic advisors in today's beginning of season two, and we're excited that it's season two of View and Focus. In this episode, we have our guest, Sean Shahini, the co-founder and CEO at Anorsa, and also a very good friend. Sean, welcome to a View and Focus. Yeah, thank you very much, Tina. Excited to be here. Happy to have you. Uh, you and, and, and me alongside Mike chat on a regular basis, almost every week. But you know, what I told you was get to actually know who Sean is, like a little bit about your stories. And, you know, when, when we meet entrepreneurs and CEOs of companies, I think one of the things is to know who they are and where they come from. So give us a little background shot. Yeah, thank you. So I'm originally from Iran. Uh, I had a very typical upbringing, middle-class family. Uh, and uh, I studied civil engineering back there and I came to U.S. for grad school. And uh, I went through this journey of learning about all the opportunities here in the U.S. and understanding uh, all the things basically more of a free capitalistic environment provides for you. And that was the beginning of uh, kind of going through a thought process of starting a company and being more of an entrepreneur than just wanting to be an employee. So. Excellent. Well, you and me have a little bit of that in common, although you come a lot further than I do. We, we both come from a different country, both immigrants. I'm, I'm from Canada. You're from Iran. A, a little different, but, you know, we're, we're, uh, we still chose to make uh, the U.S. Uh, our, our home. So, you know, as you were growing up, did you do any sports? Like, what did you do for fun? Like, let's, before we get into the whole business side of things, uh, you know, for example, we had one of our guests who was on a unicycle one day. I mean, that was kind of interesting. We had another who was loved tennis. Curious on, you know, what, what you did growing up. I was not good in sports. I did try a lot of things and tried to tried really hard to be good at it. I think with certain sports you have to be really, really good. So I tried soccer. I tried a lot of tennis and I was mediocre overall in sports, but I did try to like as a hobby, I tried to play. What I was better at was I was really good in math. So solving math problems was a hobby, which is very unusual. Everybody hated it. But uh, and uh, I did play music since I was very young. Uh, I loved painting and things like that. So those were it was more not non sporting. Hobby. What did you, uh, what instrument did you play? Uh, I played some basic instruments like flute and things like that. But then mainly guitar. Uh, I I still play time to time, but I play flamenco guitar. So. Excellent. Well, it's good to know. We're always looking for uh, musicians that, uh, with, if ever the broad, soft or acme band, acme packet band uh, reunites. So we'll we'll be sure to to keep you um, in our uh, in our thoughts there. Um, now, when you you talked about uh, obviously uh, loving math, uh, you know, you'd be good on the big the show, the Big Bang Theory, but. Um, you know, did that really propel you to go more towards a technical degree, an engineering degree? Did you have that in your head uh, from, from day one, Sean? Yeah, math was the only thing I was good at in school. Like, I I loved just solving problems in my head and not I didn't need, like, a calculator and things like that. So I did want to get a PhD in math, but uh, engineering was more practical, so that was the exciting part of it. 
and my family were all engineers. So uh, I think having the math background really, really helped, but also wanting to do something that I can one day, if I want to work for myself, it's more possible. So uh, I think engineering gives you that level of freedom uh, compared to a lot of other things. Yeah, no, that 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 certainly uh, makes sense, and and I think having a strong technical degree, especially in the industry that that you're in, um, is is proving to be really helpful. Can, can you maybe, and I'd love to hear a little bit about Anorsa as well, but can you maybe walk us through your journey uh, from a career perspective of how you know you came from a you, know, you obviously immigrated for Iran, Iran, you came to the U.S. Uh, tell us a little bit about the early days of of work here and how we end up as being, you know, a founder and CEO of a, you know, very cool uh, tech company. Yeah, thank you. So uh, I came here for grad school and my goal was to get a PhD. And uh, certain things have happened along the journey that I realized entrepreneurship is a lot more exciting than academia. Uh, and a lot of it was echoing people telling me that, oh, you, you shouldn't go get a PhD. This is not your personality and stuff like that. But I came in 2009. So when I graduated, there was a recession. So it was really hard to find jobs, but it was also really hard to hire immigrants because nobody wanted to get your work visa and things like that. So uh, I did find a really good job in oil and gas. I think oil and gas was booming. And I was not a structural engineer, so I had to kind of transition from being someone that wanted to start his own company and uh, my master's was more management. Uh, so I had to learn to become a structural engineer. And that's where I saw a lot of inefficiencies where it was just the craziest thing when it came to building any sort of infrastructure, especially in oil and gas, it was high volume, like go, go, go all the time. We had all these inefficiencies and nobody was listening to me back then because I was very young. I was like, this is crazy. We can't, you can automate this when you do things like 10 times over and over again every day. Uh, so, and I, I had a pretty good support network in Houston uh, where I could start, I started a company with two of my friends as soon as I got my green card. And uh, that was a very exciting journey. Uh, it was a soft land, they call it soft landing. So it was not uh, as successful as we hoped it to be, but it gave me a lot of, uh, I, I had a lot, I learned a lot of lessons in terms of entrepreneurship and like your personality changes and develops. But uh, I became an engineering manager in Austin in a, two other companies. One was uh, mainly building utilities for cities. And the other one, the company across the street was in the early day of 5G deployment, was building the 5G network or doing the design and deployment. And I joined them and it was the same problem of rep repetitive infrastructure where we built things for the industrial was all about high speed efficiency. You want to build things as fast as possible. And the telecom story was the craziest one to me because everything looked the same. We built the same, and that's why, because we want to build really fast. Uh, so we built one of the most successful 5G deployments in the US uh, in that company. And I thought it's time, it's, this is the best opportunity to kind of, as the network gets upgraded, we're building a lot of new sites and the ecosystem is changing. Uh, we're going towards more high volume of infrastructure. Uh, like automation is 100% necessary. So someone, someone has to do it. So that's when Inorsa started. Uh, but uh, it was a mix of like the tech background coming in a little later uh, with the structural engineering that I kind of fell into by luck. So. Well, you know, it, I, I, we always say there's a little bit of timing that's important 
with startups. You could be as good as you want to be, but you have to have you know the right timing, which is a little good fortune as, as well. You also mentioned something else that's interesting, which is a big uh, play from the MIT uh, Business School, which is what's the problem to solve? Like, what are you fixing? So let's dig a little deeper in that. Like, you found a problem that needs to be solved. And what exactly is that, Sean? I think the problem is more about the customer. So, and, and the end customer, and that's in the US, we want to build infrastructure the right way. That's why we have permitting and all these different people have to sign the documents and somebody has to review it. And uh, there's a lot of like uh, quality control throughout the process and documentation, but it's all manual. And that's like, the problem is building infrastructure, especially in the industrial world, like telecom, solar, EV charging, energy, takes a lot of time. And the lot of time is because of how much humans are involved in the process and how repetitive it is because it's boring. So it means that people will make mistakes. Uh, and where you have a country like China where there's almost no permitting, they can build 500,000 small cells in a year versus in the US, we can only build like 50,000. So the magnitude of difference will become huge. And that the problem is how do you get the customer to build and deploy their infrastructure as fast as possible? Leveraging the data they already have, because building stuff is not new. We're building things over and over again. It's more that how do we make it more efficient? So that's what Inorsa does. We are an automation platform for infrastructure deployment, where we automate the process end to end, everything from real estate to architecture engineering. And then when it comes to construction, there's a lot of process there. And I also like permitting. So we can help customers quality control these documents, have 100% accurate deliverable so when go to the field or go to get their permits uh they they can hit those milestones in t on time and rework is a big problem in our industry so we can avoid that back and forth and rework and uh everything being delayed so you're so you're building you know automation uh into a fairly complex problem to solve um as a sort of first time or newish ceo let's say uh, how do you manage your time through being able to build this organization out? Um, you know, the, the definitely uh, something that, that that needs to be from organizational design to sales to go to market to fundraising. Walk us through how you do that on a day to day basis, Sean. Time management is the challenging part when you have to do everything. Uh, I think you and I have talked quite a bit yeah. about it, but. One is focus, and to me, I'm, I'm very binary, so it's very zero or one. Either I can focus, like I have my time basically dedicated to certain things throughout the day that I, I don't want to think even when I come in how to do this. I think one of the best things that I did was hiring someone up in the beginning. One of the first hires was someone to help me with my schedule uh, so I don't have to worry about those type of things, and all I do is just figuring out this block Monday is dedicated to this task or this block Tuesday is dedicated to this task and just very binary. And I and I categorize things I do into three different categories. Either it's urgent and important, which means I have to do it now. It's urgent and not important, which means I have to delegate. It's not urgent and not important, which means probably it's going to, whenever I have time to give attention to, or maybe never, like sometimes you have to just let some fires burn that are not urgent because your time is limited too. Uh, yeah, that that I, I think that's a really good description because time management as as a, a CEO and prioritizing because everything could be important. The question is, 
what is really important for that day, for that month, for that quarter. So maybe let's move on on, on that a little bit, Sean. How do you set uh, your goals for the year? How do you ensure that your team is aligned? But how do you go about trying to figure out what your goals and objectives should be for, um, you know, strategically? But let's say, let's go from a year-to-year basis. How, 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 does, uh, how do you do that at, at Northside? so we have a very clear i think this is one of the things we got lucky with that we could get a lot of customers up from we have a very clear like roadmap in terms of where the company wants to go both in terms of revenue like really good financial model up front helped us kind of work things backward but also product roadmap that went hand in hand and that defines what has to happen in a year and then happen in a quarter but then it's all rinse and repeat because nobody can exactly say i'm going to do this every quarter and it happens uh, up front in the beginning, we did things in like two week increments where we had certain goals. Now it's week by week because things are moving super fast. Uh, I don't know if there is any magic answer. We have a lot of like structures around how things have to be done and in the process where there is an alarm when you realize, okay, this is my hypothesis. It didn't go the way I wanted to go. So we have to revise things. But uh, we, we, we do things on a weekly basis and it's kind of not a lot. It's usually just takes like half an hour, an hour and a half to an hour and a half a week. And, and for, for our, our, you know, our listeners building, um, you know, a, an automation, uh, platform focusing on that area, how is your team structured? Like, who are your direct reports? How do you think about that? Um, you know, cause it's always interesting. I, I think when I speak to the first time CEOs is who do they have report into them? Is it uh, a very flat organization? Is it one where they are uh, more hierarchically structured? Curious on how you think about that, Sean. I mean, it changes all the time, right? And it's one of the biggest challenges. And you go from doing everything yourself to slowly like delegating things to other people. Uh, the way I think of it is like, I use a principle called time like buyback. I try to buy back my time and see from the beginning doing everything, how can I buy back my time and delegate to other people? Uh, and I think we've talked about it too, like it's more the organization has to have three main basically groups. When you're watching the sales organization, sales and customer success for us uh, at early stage, because I don't think marketing is the time for marketing right now, especially the way, especially if you have good traction. Then there's product and there is like finance. So making sure we don't run off money or we earn as much as we want to earn. So those are the main three reports, I would say. I do dislike the concept of middle management. So I think there shouldn't be a lot of degrees of difference between people that are actually doing the job, at least this stage. I think it may change later. Uh, so I try to kind of keep things flat so information doesn't go from one person to three other people in a small company and then get lost. So. Yeah, well, I, I tend to agree with that. So, so let's touch on that. That, that sort of lends itself a little bit uh, to, to culture. It's clear, you know, when I speak to you every week, you're very passionate about what North is doing, where it needs to be, where it needs to go. And I'm a big believer that for any uh, startup to be successful, there needs to be passion in the organization. Uh, everyone I've been part of, that that's what I've seen as one of the, the key elements. How do you impart your passion and your dedication to Norsa to your uh, your team? How, how does how do you do that? I think part of it is like goes internal, like in your emotions, you're contagious when you like something and people believe in it. Uh, 
and the other part is having systems in place so on the first part is kind of making sure everybody understands why this problem is exciting but why this is the next most exciting thing where you have to go hire really good people and have them take a lower cut it almost doesn't make logical sense for them to do it in short time hopefully I and mean, the hope is they get rewarded in the future uh so communicating that message you have to be very clear i mean it's constant reminder of what's your vision and mission and what's the big picture at the company uh that's on our all hands call is one of the most exciting things calls for everybody because we remind everybody else why we're doing this what are our wins what are our lessons learned and uh we keep it very very personal personal uh and we have a lot of systems in place to make sure everybody gets recognized even sometimes the verbal recognition goes a long way to make sure they're involved in something bigger and things change so much week by week in terms of what we give to the customer that you see the impact of it right away the other thing we do is which i'm a big fan of, salesforce does a good job of it is everybody has like the company has a document called v2 mom which every month we have one goal and that v2 mom which is vision uh uh, values, obstacles, measures, and methods, that changes. Our goal every month is different than the next one. And it's just one goal, just one fo focus on one thing, sometimes product, sometimes customer success. But not only that, every person at the company has their own V2Mom document. So what are what they want, what is their vision for their future and where they want to be? And when, when we have one-on-one -on -one calls or like quarterly review feedback, I start, we start from there uh, to see, are they getting closer? Are they getting further? Uh, are they happy? uh from where they are or feel accomplished and things like that you know so you mentioned uh systems and crm systems uh as part of a way to keep your your team informed there's obviously the the sort of being a good leader and communicating that uh but what's your view on how early to implement uh different systems and crm systems like there's there's definitely some uh some, uh, let's say, contentious debates around that area. So I'm curious how you think about that, Sean. So yeah, I think in principles, like I think thing, you have to do things manually until it's painful that you have to do automate. Like you have to know what tool you're going to use in the future. Like, uh, And I, I like to stick to the tools that are dominant in the industry. Everybody's using them, so I don't have to deal with bugs and issues and stuff like that, or pe team is familiar with already. But I like to do things first manually so we exactly learn what is the down, like what we want? How do we want an ideal system to design to be? Uh, even in case of CRM, I mean, we start with a with a spreadsheet, knowing that we're gonna, in a month, we're gonna go to like HubSpot, for example. I mean, we did it a long time ago, but that was the thinking. Same thing for customer success. It's all email in the beginning, because then we learn what has to be automated, what has to have a structure, rather than jumping into it and picking a tool and trying to like have that so solve something. Right. I think if I hear what you're saying as well, though, is have the structure in place so when you do implement the system that you're not starting from scratch. There's yeah. a, a model, there is a theory, there is a process that you use that makes it easier to use a CRM. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm just curious if, if that's kind of what you're saying. You're exactly right. Like before using a HubSpot or Salesforce, like a month ago, a month, two months before, we already know we're going to do this. It's like, we have that in mind you should know what you're doing next uh it's just that let's do it first manual to see what are, what's the pitfall and go through that exercise so. and the other critical area obviously is a startup so you know we talked about team building we've talked about culture uh i'd be remiss if i didn't talk about fundraising there's no business that uh is a startup that doesn't fundraise there's uh different uh, 
areas that uh, people have their, their own opinions, whether how much you fundraise, what percentage of the company that, that, that you give away, uh, what type of VCs do you find, what you do with friends and family. Uh, you know, hey, what's, what's your experience been uh, in fundraising and, and uh, what are your thoughts as far as when and how you, uh, you fundraise shops? So, I mean, fundraising is something you have to learn. I think what I learned was, uh, I'm an engineer, so I think very analytical, but fundraising is more about people, especially early on, believing in you and the big picture and things like more you than anything else. Because if you're the type of person that will solve any challenge, I think that's a lot easier, especially as a seed stage or early stage company. Then the metrics come in later, and then you have to support your argument by metrics. Uh, but also the other thing that I learned is fundraising is an ongoing thing. It's more like a relationship building. You can't just jump into it and say, give me $5 million tomorrow. It has to be something that people see your progress. They really, I think, have to fall in love with you. And first of all, then the problem you're solving, because you may pivot. I mean, if you're the person that's going to find a big picture solution, you're going to find it anyways. So those were the things. And uh, I think the other part that really helps is having a good network of other founders that already have good investors because they become your biggest advocates and they refer you and they help you kind of move along the process so and, yeah and, and so for example with that you talked about a real good network i know you work with uh mike and i to north on a regular basis um so that's one area where you get you know i would say different types of feedback where else do you go you know when you're you're sitting down as ceo sometimes uh, at the end of the day, uh, the decision is with you, good or bad, you're in. You know, how do you involve your management team? How do you uh, get outside counsel? How does Sean think through that? Like, walk us through that a little bit. So, yeah, I, I think it comes in different categories. One is like mentors and advisors like you and Mike and uh, other people that really like believe in you and they support you along the way. Uh, and they've gone through this journey before so they can tell you where the pitfalls are. Uh, the other thing is like having a network. I mean, that's like, you, I don't know if it's exactly luck or not, but like you have to be present in different places and you get lucky, you meet one person, they introduce you to their network and things. And having a network of other founders that either are where you are, but ideally one step ahead of you, not like five steps ahead, but one step ahead. So they, they already done that. Like, and it's just new, whatever is going on in the market, they already dealt with it. Uh, that's the other category. And the third one is education. Like a large portion of my time goes to like certain conferences, podcasts I really like. Uh, I read a lot. I try to obsess over one company to see how is Salesforce run, how is like Twilio run or Google run. Like uh, to read books, basically, that's the other resource which uh, like you just have to find time uh, between yeah. trips and a playing like in different spots, like driving, like whenever time is wasted, working out. Uh, the education is a big piece of it. I, I I'm a big believer in learning, uh, you know, always sort of bettering yourself. Also looking at companies that have done it before, right? When you're yeah. looking at customer success, for example, one of the best companies that have done it is Salesforce. You know, early on, they were struggling not on acquiring customers, but keeping customers. And they build a whole strategy around that. So so I, I like you, I, I think really looking at prior successes and, and what didn't go right, right? Most recently, I I, uh, I read on the, the, the rise and uh, fall of uh, Research in Motion slash uh, BlackBerry. And, uh, you know, watching a company be at the top and then also not be at the top uh, was certainly uh, an interesting an interesting read. Um, so I, I think that's uh, good guidance for, uh, for our listeners. 
Uh, let me ask you, I, you know, have a little bit of fun before we, we close this up, but if uh, you weren't CEO of Anorso, like, what would you like to be doing? I don't know. I mean, that's such a hard, because I've been so, like, doing things on the side has been my hobby. Uh, I think I, I would start something else, or uh, if, let's say, I didn't want to be an entrepreneur, I would probably, I, I'm not good by any mean, but could be a musician or something like that. So, Excellent. Um, so maybe your next startup will be around the the arts or music shop. Could could be. Could be, yeah. <laughs> uh, do, do you see yourself as a serial entrepreneur? Like, is that, is that if you, when you think about yourself, is that the way you see yourself? I think, I mean, ideally, I would like to think that I'm going to run this company for a long time. Uh, I'm not like in the in the mindset of oh, I'm going to do this and quit and stuff like I want to go through the journey as far as possible. But I think if this was not a success story, it would be something else until something works out. Right. I think that would be that way more of a mentality than I want to build something to success, start something else, start something else. It's more that what can I obsess over for the next 10 years or 20 years or however long. So well working with you on a weekly basis, I definitely um and I'm always impressed to see your commitment uh, and your passion and your desire to make uh, an Orsa successful. But what I also see, which I really like, um, is your passion for your customers. You're about making their uh, solution, their delivery uh, better. And, and I, I always, that resonates with me because it's not about Sean or an Orsa, it's how you help your customers. So is that the way you think uh because that's the way it comes out is that is that your mindset yeah no definitely i think philosophically i mean that's both in life and in business happiness or success comes from others and you have to make other people successful even at the north side the way we talk is not about we do this for you it's like this is how you're going to change so i think that impacts people and it's more to me it's more rewarding and i think it's more rewarding to the customer too when they become successful and it's the surreal thing is seeing their success through the service you provide even in a macro detail level because and the level of obsession for us is pretty detailed when it comes to customers so wow well thank you sean uh for uh your time today thank you for kicking off uh season two um we're excited that you were here with us and, and some key learnings like what's the problem that you're trying to solve how do you deal with time management uh the importance of continuing to learn and and, and being on top of uh your game. So we'll keep you posted on our next episodes. Uh, be with us every other week and follow us on, uh, on LinkedIn. So Sean, thank you so much. <laughs>